Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. Chris Hancock is a licensed clinical social worker with his own psychotherapy practice in Tennessee. Chris provides clinical supervision to pre-licensed therapists and co-leads a monthly supervision case conference for the American Center for the Integration of Spiritually Transformative Experiences, of which he's a certified mental health provider. Chris also belongs to the National Association of Social Workers and is a provider for the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care, the Psychedelic Support Network, and the Spiritual Emergence Network. He's also a member of the Academy of Spiritual and Consciousness Studies, the Afterlife Education and Research Institute, the Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology, and the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. Chris joins me on the show today to share his spiritually transformative experiences and how he integrates this into his therapy practice, as well as how it has affected his life. Chris Hancock, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, thanks, Tanya. I'm great. It's so cool to meet you. And um, I'm so glad that we just got a chance in the five minutes before this to talk about all our wild commonalities that, you know. Oh, I'm sure Aldi will help us to gel and go go better. I'm great. Good. Good to hear. Yes. You know what? We have a lot in common that we just discovered. And the thing is, it really is a good reminder that we are all connected in some way, somehow. You know, I'm in Canada. You're in Tennessee, right? Right, right. And, you know, we're, we're connected through our experiences, in particular, the spiritually transformative experiences, which we're going to get into, something right. I do I do talk about a little bit here and there with other guests. Um, you know, I've had my own, and yeah. that is something that really bonds people when you have very um, robust and very uh, vivid yes. mystical experiences. Sh- shall we say outside the box experiences? Outside the box, that's the best way to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Way, way out there. (laughs) Let's bring it back and um, let's get the listener uh, an idea of who you are and your background. So Therapy Outside the Box is your website. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And you're a social worker. Yes, by definition, uh, in the in in the eyes of consensus reality, yes, that would be true. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So let's go back a bit. How did you get into the field, and um, and maybe touch a little bit on how the spiritually transformative experience came into play? Right. Yeah. Great question. So those are um, pretty bookended, right? So how I got into the field, I'd say really probably goes all the way back to beginning to just suffer and feel completely lost as a teenager, you know, um, if we want to really try to pinpoint it. And that being kind of the the birth or awakening of my just insatiable curiosity. Um, so, you know, that sense of teenage lostness, as I remember, somehow probably synchronistically led me to, you know, books like Aldous Huxley's The Doors of Perception and, you know, led me into my first awareness of uh, psychedelics and the Grateful Dead and all that, you know, kind of a new world to me at the time. And um, 
that led me into, you know, be, becoming aware of the, the perennial philosophy and, um, um, you know, just more kind of outside the box, non-standard uh, ways of perceiving reality in the world and different philosophies and whatnot. Um, you know, from there, I, uh, I really followed uh, through college. Um, most, I was an English major in my undergrad. And, but my love was music. My first passion and my first real love was music. So all through my 20s, I followed that, did music professionally for five, six years or so. And, um, and uh, toward, as I was creeping toward my late 20s, um, I really started to feel yet again lost, confused. Um, I'd say in my mid-20s, I had uh, what, as I look back now, was clearly a major depressive, truly clinical depressive episode. Part of the trigger from that was a really bad heartbreak. Um, and uh, that sent me into therapy for the first time. So here's where it begins to tie together. It was really my first therapy experience that uh, I think, as I would put it, watered the seed that was already there that I was probably going to go into you know, some type of human service uh, work eventually, right? That that was really my calling. So um, so that first therapy experience was very difficult. You know, I've talked about this uh, sometimes on posts and whatnot about how when I think back on that, it, it, it in other words, if I ever feel like I'm losing any empathy, for how difficult it is for anybody to take the step of calling a therapist, let alone actually showing up to start it. All I have to do is remember what it was like for me at 24 or whatever that was, where I would have to drag myself there and my voice would shake the entire time and I could not stop crying. You know, I was, I was just miserable and suffering, but really didn't know why, except that, you know, I got dumped and I was heartbroken, but it was, you know, what I was going through was, was beyond that. It was deeper than that. And that experience, you know, changed the trajectory of my life. And so a few years later, when I realized that, that pursuing music professionally had pretty much run its course, um, I pulled out and got back into therapy. And at that that second experience I had um, was what very, very quickly helped me to realize, oh, yeah, this this idea that was so undeveloped that began to sort of sprout the first time I went to therapy, that I'm feeling that again. I'm feeling a pull to go into some kind of human service work. And I kept going with that therapy. And that therapist really encouraged me to um, – uh, to, you know, to look at different pathways to that, be it psychology or social work. So long story short, I, I decided on this, the clinical social work path, mainly because um, when I looked at the, you know, the, the ethics of the profession, the, the, the mission statement, the, t the basic tenets of social work, I resonated 100% with all of it. And I just knew that was right. Um, so I got into a master's program and did that. And like we spoke about uh, one of our commonalities at the beginning, I spent the first many, many years in community mental health, um, be it more focused on substance abuse and addiction population or 
uh, later when I moved to Tennessee, more focused on just general um, general community mental health. Uh, one of them was uh, with child and adolescent psychiatry, and then I went over to adult for a couple more years, then did one other year in a more sort of um, family and child related counseling center. And then in 2007, I realized it was time to go off on my own and open my practice. And the rest is history as far as, you know, that level of experience goes. So your practice now, you've created your own therapy, your own modality for supporting people. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm never sure whether to call the things I've sort of put together a modality or just an approach because they're all sort of amalgamations, you know, they're all integrative sort of like, uh, like with my energy psychology approach that I, I call subconscious heal and release. Really it's, it's like my favorite analogy is it's a gumbo, you know, and there's how many ingredients in a gumbo, you know, there's the roux, the rice, the Holy Trinity, the meat and the seafood, you know, there's so much that I've pulled from other modalities, be they from somatic therapies, energy psychology modalities, purely sort of um, spiritual uh, science of the spoken word, ancient Eastern tradition type of um, methods of healing. Uh, I've thrown it all in. And so that thing that's, I guess, more energy psychology than anything else, if I had to say, uh, that's, that's one that, um, I've developed over the last, I'd say three years and, and really the beginning of how that came together was pure divine inspiration. Like one day I was literally shown this modality. Um, and I just instantly knew it was, it was a, it was an ask and receive type thing. And literally that modality was, is called ask and receive. So that's the, the funniest part of it coming out of a, a, a surrender and I'll get into kind of more of that in a minute, but for now, just to say that I literally asked and believed that I would receive a sign of a, of a new way forward, a new way to work coming out of a crisis and the actual first tangible synchronistic uh, tell or show of that was a modality called ask and receive <laughs> that I right away knew was something that I was led to and I trained in it and I loved it. And that is, uh, I, I'd say, the rue of the gumbo that is my subconscious heal and release process. I love how you would just explain that. <laughs> cool, cool. Because in my head, it didn't make any sense, but <laughs> no, I'm glad. perfect. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about your uh, spiritual experiences because that's pretty yeah. detailed and uh, qu quite quite an experience from what I understand. So maybe you could uh, explain and describe when and how. Sure. Yeah, and um, then and yeah. then maybe after, if you can give an example of some of these modalities, like the ask and receive. I mean, it, it's I know it sounds straightforward, but it's still nice to have some. Mm -hmm actual examples, but let's talk first about your um, spiritually yeah. transformative experiences. Right, right. So first of all, that phrase is, um, I guess, credit should be given to the the woman who coined that phrase, STE, spiritually transformative experiences, is Yvonne Kaysen, I think back in 1994. And I, I met Yvonne once. We're both part of, she was instrumental in sort of a co-founder of this organization that I'm part of called Assist. 
and the acronym is ACISTE, stands for the American Center for the Integration of Spiritually Transformative Experiences. Uh, not the easiest name to get off the tongue, but that's it. Um, and that's an organization I found when I was really going through some, starting to go through some profound things, but also working with an individual that was uh, going through immensely profound and ever unfolding uh, kind of transpersonal and um, wildly spiritual experiences that had a lot of very confusing mental health overlap. And that's how I found ASSIST. And that's really the whole mission of that organization is trying to bring awareness and train you know, therapists and uh, life coaches and all sorts of people that would be working with folks who are encountering uh, or experiencing things that are non-ordinary or extraordinary, but perhaps also having mental health struggles and needing somebody knowledgeable and open-minded to not pigeonhole them into it being one or the other. It's a fine line. Fine line, and there's so much overlap, and sometimes it's impossible to know, you know, which is which, but yeah. we have to try, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, let me try to get back to your question. So my own spiritual experiences, um, gosh, okay. So the ones that I guess uh, the first real conscious experience I had, and I, I think I, I think I mentioned these in brief on my website on my about page. So the first one I think really tangibly was in two thousand, excuse me, eleven. I think it was. Um, when I was, I had a pretty intensive meditation uh, push going on at that time. And a lot of that was because I was dealing with a lot of intense anger and frustration about various aspects of this adoption journey process that my wife and I were going through, where we really felt like we were getting railroaded and getting the run around and it, it just started to feel like everything is working against us toward a goal that we felt like is the most beautiful, you know, and, and pure thing we could ever have wanted to do. And we kept hitting roadblock after roadblock and to the point where we started to wonder if like we, we were just being outright frauded. Let's put it that way. I mean, it's, you know, the adoption system as a whole is very broken so much incredible red tape. It's a wonder that anyone actually completes it. We finally did. And the end of the story is wonderful, but that's not, that's not really why we're here. So just to say that I was really personally suffering and struggling at that time, you know, and meanwhile had a full practice. I had to do anything I could to get through it. So I really, really started it. uh, I guess I'd say for the second time in my life, an intensive daily surrendering a meditation process and I guess long story short here during one of those one evening something happened where I I don't remember being very intensely deep you know into a trance state or into a meditative state per se but um deep enough I guess that I had I I received this overwhelming wave of the most ineffable sense of love and compassion that I could ever even imagine that just came over me. And then I, I, again, the language fails here, you know, when we're in this territory. So I guess the best I could say is that I received a transmission of some sort, not exactly audible, definitely visceral. I sometimes say almost audible, but not quite. Um, I received a transmission that 
it was very clearly from Divine Mother. And, and it was something to the effect of, um, be quiet, my child. You are loved. I hear, or we hear you, or I hear you. You are loved. All is well. Keep coming. Wow. And, you know, a river of tears. And I didn't know what the heck to do with that, but I guess I'll just leave that one there. That was that. And, and, you know, as you can imagine, it was a breakthrough in terms of what was driving me into that intensive process was I was really crying out for help with this intense frustration and anger. And, you know, I wouldn't say it evaporated after that, but it, it changed. Right. Yeah. Let's just say it no, yeah. totally. Exactly. Yeah. Better word. Exactly. It shifted. Um, so let's see. So, um, okay. Another one, which, uh, was very kind of less personal and more sort of on the paranormal end was, uh, during, oh, actually, no, sorry. This one was first. <laughs> this one I'm about to remark on was back in 2006 when, before I launched my private practice, left my last job, we took a trip to India with some friends who invited us there, who happened to be Indian and they had family back there and they invited us on this trip. Long story short, we found ourselves in a, um, uh, a part of India that uh, was pretty remote, nor northern India of Burampur, that really hadn't seen a lot of white people in probably 30 years. So that was kind of a trip in and of itself, where we would sort of stop traffic and stop rickshaws in their tracks, like, you know, what are you doing here? Kind of thing. That was interesting. But uh, for the purposes of what I'm trying to get at, we had, I'd say, one evening. So two of the friends we went with are incredibly spiritually adept. And uh, both of them have a lot of experience with energy, with channeling, automatic writing, you know, this type of stuff, which, of course, I've always been absolutely intrigued in. And in this home that we were staying in for that part of the trip, um, there was a, apparently a lot of, you know, unexplained activity going way, way back. Long story short here, one evening we had a very spontaneous uh, kind of a seance <laughs> up in the upper part of this room. I'd say there was about eight of us sat in a circle. The two friends with this spiritual adeptness sort of ran the show. And so what I experienced was uh, once one of them began literally um, connecting with and channeling some of the energies in this in this space, uh, some of whom were, you know, uh, maybe not the kindest, maybe lost souls, discarnate entities, that kind of thing. Um, we were all holding hands in this circle. And while this was going on, all of a sudden, I mean, on a dime, I was filled with this intensely cold energy. I mean, it's like my whole temperature just dropped to like sub-zero on a dime. And the next thing I knew, I felt like I was going to projectile vomit. Oh my and, God. and the moment that I became aware of that, all of a sudden it was gone. It stopped. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I don't know. I still don't really know what that was. I just know that uh, that was real. You know, that was really shocking. 
I was very glad that it was over about as soon as it began, because obviously whatever that was, was not, you know, that was not divine mother. Let's put it that way. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that was something much lower uh, frequency that sure. I did not really want to engage with. And when you open up the way you did from the sounds of it, the problem is, is that if we don't ground and understand it, we're open yeah. to everything, you know, dark and light. No doubt about it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at that time, yeah, my understanding of that, of the, the, the importance of that was you know, still in, in, in its infancy, I'd say. I was more or less along for the ride, you know, trusting my friends who, who led this and no regrets. I mean, it was a profound experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just glad it didn't kind of go any further or darker, you know, than it did. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so that was that, um, you know, quite a contrast to that experience I first described in 2011. And then I, I guess, I guess the, the, you know, the meat and potatoes of my experience really came just a few years ago when, you know, the best way I can describe it is I had a, a convergence, a caving in of multiple levels of crisis and distress, some of which were very, sort of insidious, like a, like a, really I was nearing a career burnout and not even entirely aware of it. Real, real insidious kind of crept up on me and then seemed to hook into a kind of, you know, a, as I think of it, a kind of atypical midlife crisis. You know, it was, it was this was in the lead up to my turning 50 and, um, you know, it had been a beautiful, but a very difficult a couple of years post-adoption, bringing our girls home you know, my joke is that like we brought our girls home, they were eight and nine, and I like kind of went to sleep for years and I woke up and I have teenagers about to graduate high school now, you know, like, you know, that to happen. Totally. Like, you know, it's very cliche, like, where did it go? It went so fast, you know, but, but boy, <laughs> it is true. It was certainly true for me. So, um, so, it, you know, I, I look back and I think, you know, to some degree, I was really in a kind of survival mode for many years straight in the lead up to turning 50. So basically, like really feeling burned out with uh, working in the traditional way, you know, session after session, doing more or less traditional talks therapy. I was doing two very intense long term groups at night that went on for years and years and years. And you know, in some ways, those were beautiful and profound experiences. But I guess I came to realize there were all of it was taking a lot out of me and really uh, beginning. I was beginning to crack from it. So I had these insidious kind of vulnerabilities coming up with the way I was just living my life and doing my work. Seemed to seem to connect with this sort of uh, also insidious, but more acute kind of midlife crisis thing, which, you know, for me, didn't wind up in you know, me wanting to get a red convertible Corvette and all that cliche <laughs> stuff, but, but, it, but it really rocked me. And, and that then seemed to sort of trigger a real dark night of the soul, a real acute existential dark night of the soul crisis where I felt like I was, I felt like I was going mad, honestly. And it was so, you know, I had some book knowledge of this kind of stuff and had been working with people already having similar experiences or experiences in this ballpark. But all of a sudden, it's 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 like it's my turn. It's coming over me. So I had, thankfully, great support, great therapist, um, 
uh, and a good amount of book knowledge and experience in seeing others walk through similar uh, wildernesses, so to speak. But, you know, when it hits home for you, it's like all bets are off because, you know, all these experiences, we can give names and there's common elements of them for every human being. But it's still the ultimate experience is idiosyncratic to you. Right. It's the way it's it's affecting your neurochemistry and your whole belief system and everything. So let's just say it got pretty, pretty dark and pretty kind of madnessy. <laughs> for a while there. And so I did what I knew how to do, which was once again, like I did back in 2011, just totally surrender and start sitting as long and as uh, with as much commitment and courage as I could every day. And so I started doing that. And so from that, um, I, I guess the first profound thing that happened in that experience was uh, I was one day, you know, sitting and surrendering, praying, asking for help. And this one day, I remember particularly asking for clarity as to what was what. I felt so, so lost. I Like I was trying to figure out in a kind of heady way, is this just I'm burnt out in my career and I'm not supposed to continue being a therapist? Is this just midlife crisis? Is this really a spiritual crisis, dark night of the soul? Is it something else? Help, help. I need to know what it is. And one day I literally got an answer. And this came kind of like that transmission from the Divine Mother. This came in a similar way, but even a little more auditorily. And what I got in this on this particular day was you are being given the gift of holy discernment. Wow. That was it. End of transmission. And again, a kind of river of tears because there was a, you know, a very, once again, a very beautiful, light, palpable, visceral energy that accompanied that happening. But that was the message. And in reflecting on it afterwards, I realized, wow, those are two words that, I have no conscious knowledge of ever hearing put together. And it's certainly not a phrase that I've ever used. I don't know what you, it means. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not sure I do either. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it didn't come with a manual or a definition for me, but holy discernment. But, you, but I mean, look, what I make it mean, and I guess that's what's important with all these types of profound, not ordinary, extraordinary experience is that no one else can tell us what they are or what they mean for us. That's up to us. Right. And so I guess this was no different. I was just told you're being given the gift of holy discernment. And all I really know is that from there, guess what happened? Things did get clearer for me. They, be, I mean, you know, again, nothing instantly changed or my pain didn't dissolve overnight, but I, I did begin to kind of feel like I could start to see the forest for the trees. And one of the, one of my awarenesses from that was that, you know what, it, it is not important and probably not helpful for you to try to figure out, you know, with your ego, what is what it, it just is. You are experiencing a profound shift. You are be you've, you've cracked open and, this is a rebirth type experience, right? Forget trying to label it and name it and analytically figure out, figure it out. So I guess what I, you know, holy discernment, 
I, I, I guess I make that mean that I was being given a gift of clarity from on high. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, that uh, that's the best I can come up with. And I've never, you know, there's been no follow up to that message per se. Um, but things did get clearer and I started to find my way. And so this leads into the next part of it. I, I, again, the timeline is very fuzzy for me. So I'm going with the best of my recollection because you know how you go through things like this and all of a sudden linear time is just like, what? Yeah. 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 So you, you kind of get into the quantum and, you know, you start to realize that time is a construct and an illusion anyway. So anyway, at some point, relatively soon after I received this holy discernment uh, uh, gift and things started to get clearer, I continued to sit and give thanks and pray and ask and receive. And part of the receiving was something I wasn't necessarily asking for. And, and that's that. In these, in these sittings and these meditations, I started to experience different energies coming in, connecting with me, whether just simply on the etheric level or really more incorporating me or some of both, I'd say. But the first, the first, my first indication that something different was starting to happen in these meditations was that um, my head started to involuntarily roll around in um, kind of unusual configurations and shapes. The first one, when it first began, my head would begin rolling around doing the infinity symbol. Wow. Right, like over and over again. Like if you could see me right now, which you can't, I'd be sort of demonstrating it for you. But if you know what the in infinity symbol is, and I'm sure you do, yeah. picture sitting and your head is just rolling around doing that making that symbol over and over and over and over. And I did that for, I don't know how many sits in a row that would just happen. And I would feel like something is with me and this is not me doing this. Yeah, and is this, is this like a Kundalini activation of some sort? Well, that I've been asked that multiple times and my intuitive answer is always no. So I never felt any, any heat or energy at the base of the spine. There was nothing in nothing perceivable going on in my spinal column physically or energetically this seemed to be something other than that um and that continued on and i kept going with it and then the shape would change and then i mean it was sort of anything and everything it would it would change and it would slow down and speed up and um, sometimes just sort of dart back and forth, left to right, sometimes just up and down, but usually circles, half circles. And then and then it started to take the shape of like more like sacred, kind of like the infinity symbol, like other sacred geometrical formations, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like sort of flower of lifey type of symbols and whatnot. So that's when I realized, wow, something really compelling is going on here. And me being me, I just don't, I don't tend to fear and shy away from these things. So I just kept going and kept showing up for it and kept asking for, you know, when and where appropriate. If I could get some clarity about what's going on, I would appreciate it and welcome it. Um, so I kept going and going. And let's just say I haven't stopped. I continue to sit wherever I can make the time. I, I try to get it, get it in each day. And it has taken on 
um, other um, um, shapes is not the right word. This uh, uh, other levels. So let me try to describe what I'm meaning there. So it's gone from just perceiving that there's some energy that is not me, that is other, coming in to connect with me. And for whatever reason, my head seems to be the, the compass or the, uh, uh, the pendulum of this, right? So during this time, I was, I was uh, finding my way into energy psychology. I studied that ask and receive method. I learned the kinesiological muscle testing that goes along with that method. So long story short there, the next thing I know, while I'm doing that method with people and using using the muscle testing in the more conventional ways, like with the finger or the arm test or having people stand up and seeing their body sway to give a yes or no. And while I'm doing that process, I notice all of a sudden during my work, my head again involuntarily starts nodding yes when it's yes or weak and and um, shaking no to the left or right when it's when it's no or yes or strong and shaking no when it's no or weak. So the next thing I know, I start experimenting with foregoing the traditional ways of muscle testing and just seeing if I'm if I feel like I'm getting this accurately through this same head movement and I've never stopped doing it since. So I have this sort of um, I, I guess I feel like like it was a gift that was given um, that I have this sort of built in kinesiological method to tell me true from false. Yes. No strong from weak. Uh, just using, I just tap in, ask for, you know, call in protection and, 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 and such, and do my little sort of spoken word ritual with it to get online and feel grounded. And then uh, not once has it never, uh, come through right my head is like a, like a it's like a human pendulum type of situation that's that's a great tool to have now let's go back to the muscle testing because i'm not sure everyone's familiar specifically yeah. with that modality so can you explain a bit about that yeah i mean i'm not an expert in it but basically it comes from um applied kinesiology which was discovered i think by george goodhart a chiropractor back in i don't know when i want to say the 30s but maybe not um, it's it's just it's the idea that that the body has an innate wisdom, and the body uh, can only give us truth as long as we know how to perceive it, as long as we tell the body or ask the body how to give us information. And in terms of kinesiology, we're talking about a yes no. It's binary, right? So so the body will tell us uh, that something is good for us or something is true, um, or it will tell us something is not good for us untrue or weak so so applied kinesiology was used more kind of uh medically in the in the mind body world starting with these with george goodhart if i have that correct and so it's a whole field in and of itself but ever since then more holistic practitioner practitioners and mind body and integrative people have sort of borrowed from the basics of of kinesiology and applied it in different ways and one of those ways would be, um, uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name now, um, David Hawkins, David Hawkins, right? In his work with his creating the map of consciousness, and he was using kin kinesiology to um, formulate his theories at the levels of consciousness. I mean, we could have a whole podcast on that, so I won't go sure. off on, on that rabbit <laughs> yeah. trail, right? 
Yeah. So, that's, uh, a, so that's a great synopsis, though, of, of what muscle testing is, because I think yeah, that, that it can yeah. be very unfamiliar. I mean, if people right. don't have any idea that that even exists, that kind of method. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, of course, there's lots of people who think it's good. It's hocus pocus. It's, you know, but whatever. It's a matter of what what you believe and what's true to you. Um, well, we're, we're so, open here. <laughs> yeah. No, I know here we are. Here, here we're, we're, the space we're, is very, very yeah. safe for those conversations. We're, yes. We're <laughs> preaching, preaching to choirs here. Yeah. So. So with the way the kinesiological thing has come on in, in an auto auto way or involuntarily with me. So now when I do my subconscious heal and release process, um, which is a process of essentially getting into alignment with anything that we want to achieve or feel more of or do or become. And we use the, the, the kinesiology. See, the way I describe it in that process is that the, the, the muscle testing, the kinesiology is the pathway, but the mechanism is spirit. Right. I feel that, you know, we're tapping the field. We're tapping what, you know, William James would call the cosmic reservoir, the field of that where all things are known. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's where the information is coming from. It's just a pathway which happens to come through me through head nodding. Yes or no. That's where in my subconscious healing and release process, we can help one to get into alignment with whatever their goal is. Uh, by using that method to tell us what is blocking it. And in this method I've developed, we're looking for three things, basically trauma, the energetic imprints of trauma, uh, limiting beliefs on the subconscious body-based level, and trapped emotions or trapped emotional energies that would correlate with particular areas of the body or organs, like you're well aware with your medical Qigong understanding, right? You know, very much borrowing from TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, understanding of the way that different uh, emotions and imbalances connect with parts of the body. And we use the spoken word uh, process that that is you know rooted in that the ancient science of of uh, invocation the spiritual science of the spoken word, which of course is just for your listeners that might not understand that meaning it's just based on the premise that words heal right that all was started with word I am I am that I am right the word is the creative force in addition to light of course um, but the, so the idea is that words heal but not any words the right words spoken in the right order with the right intention and made more powerful by being conducted in the context of a safe and healing um, uh, setting or relationship, right? And then the other premise of that is that um, all is energy and energy is either stuck or flowing. And of course, the purpose is to get it flowing. Right? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So maybe to pivot here and try to come back and fill in the, the gap of, of my own journey here. So, so I start this process where, you know, my head's moving around and something's going on. And I guess I would say the next stage or phase of this is where I, 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 uh, I, I, I get the idea that maybe I should really start to intentionally ask who is with me. Who is coming in and and producing this phenomenon and what is going on here? And so from there, I'd say I've been in a process of about give or take about a straight year now of having this process continue, but with a little more kind of intuitive and visceral clarity 
where when I started to ask, um, usually at the end of any sit where I sit for anywhere from 35 minutes to an hour and a half with this phenomenon of my head moving around the whole time, I will, when I finish, I will ask, you know, is it, if it's in the highest and best good for me to know who or what was with me today? And then I started to get the answers and they would come again, words kind of fail. I can't exactly describe how I would get that information, except I, I guess I would say the best answer would be to say it just came, it comes in a very clear impression, right? Like a mental impression, like mental mediums would say they get their information, right? So I guess there is a mediumistic kind of component. I really, in, in the in the big picture here, Tanya, I think what this is, is a long game preparation of opening me to become a channel is what I believe is happening. Well, you're already um, doing it. I mean, that all of that, it's all channeling. Right. It really to, to to on different levels on to different degrees. It's all channeling. Precisely. Musicians channel. Mu exactly. Right? Creatives channel. They're channeling exactly. music, etc. Yeah. Uh, yes, I mean, arguably, we all are, whether we have any idea of it or not, right? Exactly. We're all get we're all getting impressions and intuitions. So, yeah. so once I started asking, I started to get these mental impressions, and now, I mean, um, if we. Uh, you know, this is not the time or nor do I think it's necessary to read you the entire list I have of about, I think, 18 pages and counting of I've started to record the dates of the sits and what information I would get about who it, who is with me. And it ranges from Divine Mother, Holy Spirit, um, all the whole range of ascended masters, like from the theosophical tradition um, oh, that just reminded me that I missed one key element of this of this um, transformative experience. I'll come back to it. I'll stay with where I am right here. Basically, just I won't. I won't. So a whole a whole litany for about a year of different figures from history, uh, from uh, lots of Christian figures that I've never heard of that I have to go look up. Right. Sort of lesser known saints and bishops and uh, yeah. uh, philosophers and um, uh, 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 Gnostic uh, figures all the way to councils and collectives, the Atlantean, Lemurian collectives, you know, ET, I'll just, you know, I'm already out of the closet, so I'm not going to be afraid to say now. But, you know, ET collectives, you know, what I what I've learned from this is part of my quote unquote, galactic soul family history is is mantids, Pleiadians and Arcturians, mainly Arcturians. I seem to get the strongest energy around the Arcturian collective. Um, uh, yeah. And it, and it continues on to this day. And I just continue to go with it. I guess I'll. All right. Let me stop there with that. Um, and to come back to what I had forgotten, one of the other most profound things along the line of that gift of holy discernment that I received that day. I'd say maybe just a few months after that, while I was still, you know, very much in the in kind of the pit of, of the dark night of the soul, I would say, and very much seeking and trying to continue to just have courage and show up for it and cry through it and struggle with it and suffer through it. Um, one day, uh, while in my last office space, I was I was probably a good hour into a meditation. Again, my head rolling around, different <laughs> shapes and different you know sensations of energies sort of coming in and out, all feeling very love and light and and positive. 
um, I, I had an experience where all of a sudden I felt an energy come over me that was, I don't know, maybe comparable to what I experienced back in 2011 with that divine mother energy come in. Um, again, just this overwhelming flood of just uh, the most deeply warm, loving, safe, compassionate, uplifting energy. And it, and this was, this was the most, um, I'd say, whole body, like not just etheric, not just in my field, this like came into me. And uh, I mean, I remember getting spooked for a minute because it was so visceral and so palpable and felt like like I was really being taken over and I got scared for a moment. And as soon as I became aware of that fear, I just thought to just surrender that. And I made some kind of declaration that, you know, uh, in the name of the highest and holiest, I I know and trust and believe that this is of only of the light and surrendering to that. And the next thing I know, um, my, I felt like my eyes should open. And so I went with that and my head kind of lifted up and Tanya, it was like, it was like I had just taken, you know, a heroic dose of LSD. Like it was like, I was just on fire, but not, not like a sense of burning, just like lit up like a Christmas tree. And the next thing I know, I had the visual sensation of my whole, the whole office lighting up like a gymnasium. And so I can't even say how long that lasted. You know, in a sense, it felt like just seconds. In another way, I felt like a whole hour. I'm sure it was neither. Sure, it was just a few moments maybe, but and then it very, very slowly dissipated. And um, what I came to realize later on in my daily sits and in my my effort of asking who what was with me. Oh, and I, and I should say, once I started asking who was coming in and worked with me today, and I would get that impression. After a few weeks or months of that, I said to myself, well, duh, if I'm getting that, why don't I ask more? Such as what is being downloaded to me or, or am I receiving some kind of a teaching or download or transmission on a level that I'm, I'm just not supposed to consciously be aware of or perceive? And that was I was started to clearly get a yes that I was it wasn't just energies coming in to just be with me. I was receiving some kind of transmissions. And then I would ask, um, you know, may I know what, you know, what, what was the teaching today or what was the download today? And this would usually take a while, like a good 10 minutes of just having to sit with it and bring it in. But I think in almost a year of doing that, there was only one day where I couldn't bring it through. Um, and on every other day, I would get a brief description of what it was. And, um, you know, sometimes it was so esoteric and almost indecipherable that I'm still trying to understand what it was. Other times it was it would be as straightforward as a lesson on divine love, compassion and trust. Right. Something easily kind of understandable um, and a kind of everything in between. So. At some point in this last year, um, when I started doing that, I began to, uh, so I, I would ask about what was that that happened in that one day? 
where I lit up like a Christmas tree and my office did and I felt this. And what I, what I realized what that was that that was a infusion of divine light from St. Germain, the Ascended Master St. Germain. Okay. That's yeah. an Ascended Master. Okay, yeah, I'm not overly familiar with all the different figures. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not familiar with all the ones that have apparently come through to interact with me either, so it's giving me an education. But St. Germain is considered the Master Alchemist. He supposedly had many different incarnations. Uh, but he is associated with the uh, the ascended masters, the rays, uh, which is all you know technically part of the theosoph theosophy and the theosophical tradition. Right. Okay. Along, yeah, with uh, you know from Annie Besant and Madame Blavatsky uh, and others who connected with and and channeled them and wrote about them. So ascended masters, you know, in league with the Great White Brotherhood, the archangels. Um, all performing, you know, various functions and duties, you know, uh, for us, you know, having for us spiritual beings having human experiences here. Um, and so what I what I, I think was a great possibility, if I'm understanding it right, is that in my hour of darkness, let's put it that way, St. Yeah. Saint, Saint Germain basically came in and, and blasted me with the infusion of of his violet flame light and. And that was a great aid in lifting me up out of, you know, the deepest kind of darkest um, uh, parts of, the, of that dark night of the soul. And that really seemed to begin, I, I guess, kind of the, you know, the, I don't know, recovery phase doesn't sound like the right word, but maybe the awakening portion of the darkness, of the dark night of the soul uh, um, experience. Right. And so from what I understand, St. Germain is kind of like my master of ceremonies in this whole process of my bringing in communing with all these various energies. And um, and that continues on today. And, uh, you know, lately, Divine Mother is coming in a lot. St. Germain's coming in a lot. Some of the other Ascended Masters that I'm really not familiar with, like Literally uh, an hour before we sat today, I communed with El Moria and Divine Mother. And um, El Moria is is uh, considered one of the ascended masters from the Theosophical tradition. The Another, master of okay. the yeah yeah the, I think the master of the first ray, and um, Saint Germain is the master of the seventh ray. Okay. Um, so that's a and, whole system yeah. that people would have to maybe go and and research a little more in depth. Right. For more. Oh, they'd have to go go do some deep diving on that. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, that's a whole tradition and a whole Eastern esoteric uh, spiritual tradition that I've had a, I guess, cursory awareness of. I I never did any real deep dives. Um, I did a little bit maybe 20 years ago on Blavatsky and Annie Besant, uh, you know, when I discovered sort of unity church and science of mind, you know, how you, how one thing leads you to another and you go down rabbit holes and you discover things, but I never went real whole hog into it. Um, but apparently for whatever reason, coming out of this midlife, uh, transition for me, um, and awakening to, you know, what appears to be like, you know, the next level of my purpose of what I'm supposed to be doing, which is, I think, why I was brought to my knees to kind of crack me open and wake me up. 
to get me back to, you know, surrendering and, and giving over to the will of the divine for my life and the will of my soul and the higher self, I guess this is what I'm discovering is that, um, that I, I, I'm somehow, I have some kind of connection to that tradition of um, spiritual masters in some way. Um, I had a reading with Michaela Sheldon, who's a pretty well-known channel who I like a lot. And I'm not going to go into a lot of that because some of it is just, I'm still trying to integrate it and make sense. But let's just, let's just say it was pretty validating that what I'm going through is no accident. Of course it's not, but it was really very validating and that, and that there are no very, very clear um, answers or things that I'm supposed to be doing other than just, just see it through, just, just keep showing up and trust and have faith and, all of it will unfold. And so what, so, you know, what I get is that that's what I'm supposed to be doing and that all will become clear and that all of these visits and these communions with these different energies and different souls that are apparently, you know, downloading or transmitting lessons and teachings to me at some point, all will become clear as to what that's for, how I'm supposed to use it, you know, when and where I'm going to have some kind of conscious access to it. I don't yet know. I've gone through, honestly, periods of this in this last year where I've gotten real frustrated at, at not being able to know more about what the hell is this for? What am I supposed to be doing? You know? I hear you loud and clear. And I just want to comment. Two things are coming to mind. So trust, self-trust yeah. is critical in anything yeah. and everything in life. But when it comes to spiritual experiences, Right. That's where we become extra discombobulated, of course, and we feel we want that validation, of course, and understanding because it's so complex. It throws up right. our off. Right. However, the f- the funny thing is, is that it's the, we know we have an inner knowing. Yeah. Even though we can't make sense of it in that moment, I mean, right. isn't that human to have to make sense of everything? Have it to be very exactly. very black and white. Right. But and that's where the trust comes in because we're fearful of the yes. unknown. Yes. And and we feel off center, free falling with no net. No doubt. Especially in this territory. Right. Right. However, the critical thing is to trust and to trust what you feel about it. So if you just have a sense it's okay, even if it's right. topsy turvy, right. Trust that. That's that's a message I want to drive home because you know what? I'm as relentless as you are. And, yeah. you know, to this day, I'm still trying to figure things out. I'm still trying to, yeah. you know, understand. And I have to accept that, A, I know already. Right. Even if it's not fully conscious. And B, exactly. I just have to trust. And and it, it's, it's never evolving. So we have to be okay with not always knowing and having the gray areas and just carrying on. That's right. And I I, I would 100% and I would add to that, that for me, the big part of what's that old saying, the best part of valor, something is the best part of valor. What is that? I can't Uh, think of it at the moment. Yeah, but along the lines of that idea, for me, it's like faith is the better part of trust with this. Right. Like this is really awakening me to... um, like, like, like there's a, a healer here who I know in Nashville, her name is also Tanya, who I had a reading with her once years ago. And she said to me about her training in, the, in this Tibetan tradition. 
and her getting to study with all these Tibetan masters. I remember the one thing she said to me was, you know, before all this, I thought I knew what compassion was. I had no earthly idea what compassion really meant, right? And I feel like my corollary to this is I had no idea what faith meant, right? Right. And I don't mean that in the in the traditional religious sense. Um, I mean, I do and I don't, right? I mean it in a more broadly, purely spiritual sense of like, this is about faith for me. Trusting, but with full faith. It's a test of my faith, right? Yeah. Um, and it's so it's so it's a giving over and a surrendering each and every day to having faith that I am divinely protected and I'm being guided and led and I need to trust in that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. I want to just sit with that for a minute. <laughs> I know, right? I sit with that a lot. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> Let's talk about your family and just day-to-day -day life. So how does it look when you have all of this that you carry with you and experience? Yeah. How is day-to-day -day life now? It's really, um, uh, as you can imagine, here's, here's where we enter complete paradox. It's, it's both completely different, I'm different, and yet it's utterly the same and I'm the same guy, you know? I mean, seriously, like what's really most different is in this whole process, like I think I mentioned at the outset, I really started to think this crisis meant I'm burned out and done with being a therapist. I got to give it up and do something else. But I started to get real clear guidance that no, that is not it. But what it was, was part of the purpose of this whole thing was to wake me up out of the sort of insidious trance I was in of doing old school traditional therapy hour after hour after hour after hour, um, which, you know, I, I, I'm not saying I would change that if I could. I think I was just coming to a point where it was high time for me to come into all of who I was. I was keeping a lot of this of who I was, um, of who I am out of it, right? Like I've always been kind of psycho-spiritually and mind-body oriented, but I think part of this breakdown, if it was going to become breakthrough, was my having to realize that it's time for me to really re, you know, retire and rebirth myself as a counselor or healing agent or therapist. And I have to have the courage to come out with all of who I am, all in woo-woo and ET and channeling and all of this. I have to keep grounded you know, keep, keep, keep my one leg in my, in all my nuts and bolts, uh, uh, traditional training and methods, but I have to go outside the box. And so that was actually my wife's idea when we started to talk about, like, you probably need to, as they say, and I hate to be buzzworthy, but you have to rebrand, right? Because this is changing you. So it's time to put a new coat of paint on. And, so my wife thought, you know, therapy outside the box, that's something that's close enough to kind of describing that you're different, but in a way most people would understand because most people understand that phrase, right? Yes. And so I went with that. And my wife is very intuitive, has really, really intense latent psychic abilities, but she does not, she's currently not interested in pursuing that, let's just say. So... So that gets into maybe touching on another part of your question is that um, I'm generally open about 
this whole, I mean, I couldn't hide what was going on with me when I was in the, the darkness uh, part. And it started to really buckle and strain my marriage at one point. So we went to some couples work and it was uh, phenomenally helpful. And um, so I'd say it, it's, it's, it's really more of, of a mostly private experience with my sitting each day. Uh, I just tell my family if they're home, hey, I'm going to jump into a meditation. So I'll, I'll be I'll be out for the next hour or so. And sometimes they'll ask me, you know, kind of what happened or who came through or, you know, what's going on with it lately. And I'll just give a brief answer, but that's about it. And it doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to need to be more than that at the moment. You know, I'm thankful, I'm thankful that even though my wife has her own giftedness and, you know, part of how we met and got together 16 years ago was linking up around spirituality. Um, but that's just kind of not where she is right now. You know, she's very busy in being the CEO of the family and being a mom and working part time and keeping everything together. I think her day will come where she's going to kind of dig back into, you know, the more intuitive part of who she is and get to do more, more of her, her creativity and artistry. So I guess I'd say I have a good natural um, kind of container and, kind of non-involved support for this thing that I, I'm continuing to explore. Um, but beyond that, in terms of my practice with COVID, you know, as most people did, I moved my work home. I never thought I would I would want to work from home or would, but here we are. And it's magical. I love it. So a lot of my work is just like we're doing right now through video or telehealth. And I'm getting to, to do some of my services with people, you know, all over the place. So it's really expanded what I can do in that beautiful way. Um, and then I'm starting to then have uh, people back out um, in person. And uh, and that's really great, too. And I think one of my big big takeaways from my my near career burnout was that I got to slow it down. I got to stop killing it and trying to save the world and see, you know, nine people in a day, five days a week. I just can't do it anymore. I'm older. And, you know, uh, so so I so my practice is smaller and maybe I'll just say the other really kind of interesting thing is that in all my surrendering over to who I truly am and bringing all of myself into it and really surrendering to spiritual guidance to guide me not only in this this process, but in just about every area of my life, I had a realization one day that I started to that that it would be wise for me to check with spirit, um, check with my higher guidance on whether it is in the highest and best good for me to work with, to take on anyone that may contact me. And that's been a little bit blessing and curse. And I, I mean, not so much literally curse. It's been a blessing because it's keeping my practice relatively small. And of course, if I get a yes, that, that it is in the highest and best good, guess what happens? It, it goes well, right? The person feels benefited. We feel it's a good click and it goes well. The curse of it is when I, ha when I get a no and I don't know why, but I feel like I'm not supposed to question it. I'm supposed to just, again, trust it and have faith or not. And I'm choosing to have faith. So anyone that kind of already has a sense that that's how I'm doing my work these days I feel it is okay. I can tell them. So look, I have to let kind of higher guidance or spirit tell me 
whether it is in our best interest to work together. And in this case, for some reason, I'm getting a no, which I'm sorry to have to say that because I see you wanted to work with me, but I hope you will trust that that only means that there is somebody that is a better fit for you than me. And by and large, people have been accepting of that. Now, in cases where I think someone's coming to me and they really, maybe a friend referred them or something, or they just heard about me, they really don't know what I'm doing and they wouldn't quite understand me saying that. I guess I have to just say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not really taking anybody right now and give them some other names. But that's been a really interesting thing, again, along with a test of trust and faith for me to keep surrendering to that, that you know, I mean, and sometimes I'm surprised, like sometimes I'll have somebody that that works with me that is and the entirety of our work is about spiritually transformative experience or they're becoming psychic or whatever. And they'll refer someone who's right in that same plane. And in some cases, I've gotten a clear no, it's not in the highest and best good. And that's confusing to me. But again, I have to either trust it or not. It's such an important uh, area of work that you're doing. So I just wanted to say, yeah, so many more people are are speaking more openly about spiritually transformative experiences and, and the like. Right. It's starting to get more traction, right? In the last 30 years, the subject matter, consciousness, right. and afterlife, let's say. Yes. A lot more it's just a lot more open. It still has a ways to go, but it's getting right. better. So the thing is you know, thank goodness. I mean, you know, you were the one to open up to heal yourself and now go beyond the traditional therapy modality to help people address these experiences because the, you know, mental health in itself is one thing, but then when you have the spiritual experiences, and like you said, they overlap. We don't always know. We can't tell the difference, which which one's which, I mean, that is so critical to have support more than ever. So your work, I mean, really is a true blessing. So, you know, thank you for doing this work and and accepting the call. I know it was difficult to transition and shift, but you're getting through it and you're, you're seeing the light and, um, and you're offering such a, an incredible support to people. Thanks. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's a well-paved road, right? I mean, I'm hardly the first, um, and I'm glad that, that since I've come into this, I've been able to connect with more and more of, you know, kind of uh, uh, like-minded souls, right? Fellow light workers or whatever, you know, through professional organizations and, and beyond. And um, I'm so, I'm so glad to be in it. I feel absolutely blessed. And, um, you know, part, part of to comment on what you were just saying about the sort of raising of consciousness and, the the uh, more and more sort of acceptability and getting on the collective consciousness, all this these types of things in the outer realms of experience, of course, is the exploding psychedelic medicine uh, renaissance, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's kicking it into high gear, and so I'm I'm always surprised by having more and more people all the time call me saying, you know, I'm starting some ketamine and. I'm, I'm starting, I'm doing some, uh, you know, ayahuasca journeys and I'm microdosing with mushrooms and I, I would like somebody who's open-minded to this. So it's just, it just, you know, once you really put yourself out there with something, it just comes to you, right? It does. Definitely. Yeah. Now, <laughs> where can we find you? Uh, what's your website? Yeah. Therapyoutsidethebox.com. 
Perfect. Yep, that's the yep. easiest way. Um, there's 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 one other uh, somebody some out out there online that has therapy outside the box blog. Okay. That that's that's not me, but I'm therapyoutsidethebox.com. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, that's that's the best way. That's awesome. Chris, it's been such a pleasure to hear your story and to connect, um, you know, like-minded souls, right? Totally. Thank you for having me on. I hope at least some of that was coherent. I know I jumped back and forth a lot, but... Uh, You're perfect. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe we should do it again some other time and maybe flesh out uh, some more of uh, parts of this if you want to. I'd love that. There's so many layers. You can't capture it in one show. Definitely not. Cannot so, possibly. Maybe not even in one lifetime. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no, that's perfect. Chris, we'll have yeah. you back. Definitely. Cool. Thank okay. you so much. All Thank right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Life Continuing. A special thanks to Chris Hancock. For more on Chris, please visit therapyoutsidethebox.com. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. Be sure to join me next time where we'll continue this conversation about life continuing. <laughs>